guys. We want to remind you that the Pet Stuff Podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes, not medical advice. We encourage all of our listeners to build a relationship with a local veterinarian. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pet Stuff Podcast, where that stuff we learn can help enrich the lives of us and our pets. I'm your host, Carl B., and today we're going to talk about pet nutrition, how to choose the right pet food. Ever wonder why grain-free diets are so popular? We're going to cover that and more. We'll also be listening to a few audio clips from an interview I had with veterinary nutrition consultant and owner of PetNutritionConsulting.com, Dr. Susan Lawton. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Okay, so if you've ever been to a pet store, you already know, it can be a real nightmare. Everywhere you look, aisle after aisle, there's another slogan, another shiny bag, high protein, but over there was low protein, grain-free, all life stages, the list goes on and on. The truth is, nutrition is not one size fits all. So we do want to take the time to find the right diet specific for your pet. So where do we start? Well, for me, step one is an AFCO statement. When selecting a bag of food out of the things that matter most to us, trust should be at the top of that list. So if you're saying to yourself things like, well, it can't have grains, or I don't want it to have any byproducts, what about regulated standards to make sure your pet's receiving complete and balanced nutrition? When selecting a commercial diet, the first thing I look for is an AFCO statement. So AFCO stands for American Association for Feed Control Officials. It's an organization that gives pet food companies the option to certify their diets by meeting the recommended nutritional values for pet food. This isn't a mandatory process, so companies aren't required to participate. So to find the AFCO statement, you're going to look on your bag, and it should be just below the guaranteed analysis. Okay, so once you find the statement, what's next? Well, there are two ways to meet AFCO's guidelines. You can formulate the diet, or you can substantiate it. Here's Dr. Lawton to give us the rundown. Substantiated means that it's been tested on animals over a certain period of time, and that the food has done well and the animals are healthy and fine at the end of the test period. Um, They also have the option of just formulating a diet to AFCO regulations, and that way it's not tested at all. So personally, I do prefer that my diets are substantiated by feeding trials. These tests are really expensive, so a label like this tells me that a company is committed to their product. The next thing we want to consider is life stage and lifestyle. For a long time, I didn't consider the importance of life stages for pets, but a pet's body will experience changes over time. A lot of pet food companies have invested the research into developing formulas that are ideal for these changes. Dogs tend to have three recognizable life stages, puppy, adult, and senior. Cats generally have four, kitten, adult, senior, and geriatric. But why does it matter? I want you to take, for example, 
a dog food labeled a Senior 7 Plus Diet. Senior diets tend to have fewer calories to accommodate a slower metabolism, and they also have smaller kibbles that make it easier to properly chew their food. So let's say your 9-year-old yellow lab is starting to look a little fluffy, and for some of you that's probably being really generous, check the bag for calorie content. If your senior dog is overweight, but you haven't changed the amount you're feeding, consider a different diet, one with fewer calories. I personally feed my senior dog a food that contains roughly 360 calories per cup, but I've seen senior diets well over 450 calories, so it's going to depend on their lifestyle. For very active dogs that are likely to burn the calories off, you have a little more leniency. If you have a lazy dog like myself, it'll be easier to control their weight if you keep their calories on the lower end. Now, while we're talking about lifestyle, we know our pets have personalities, and a big part of those personalities will have to do with how they're spending their time. Are they constantly on the move, or are they just hanging out? Some of you probably have a cat that just lounges on the window, grooming themselves all day, waiting until they hear anything that sounds like food. Pet food companies realize that every pet is a little different, and sometimes modifying their diets can better fit their personal needs. So, let's say you have a domestic long-haired cat that's regularly coughing up hairballs. Check out the food. What does the fiber content look like? Is it closer to 2% or is it closer to 5%? Cat food specified for indoor cats increases dietary fiber, which helps break down those hairballs. There's so many more lifestyle choices to consider. Another very common example is overweight pets. Obesity is a huge problem today. A lot of us are overlooking it, but these pets will benefit from a weight management formula. You should always check with your vet for suggestions or even to rule out the possibility of an underlying condition. While we're on the topic of weight management, I want to talk about protein for a moment. Some of you may have heard that every dog needs a high-protein diet, but that's not always the case. These animal-based proteins are usually the most calorie-dense. I asked Dr. Lawton if she could tell me a little more about how protein can play a role in a pet's body condition. Dogs need energy and protein to live and thrive. Excess protein is converted to energy or stored in the body as fat. If the dog eats lots of protein and not enough energy, that excess protein is converted to energy. If the dog has plenty of energy in his diet, excess protein can end up as body fat. I like foods that have about 30% protein or even a little bit higher. Personally, I don't see a lot of benefit to feeding dogs super high-protein diets. For example, I think Instinct has a dog food that's close to 50% protein. In my opinion, that's a bit excessive, but I don't necessarily find it concerning. I once heard that these super high-protein diets led to kidney failure. Dr. Lawton had this to say. It does not cause kidney disease, as some people say. Um, if your dog already has kidney disease, then it will exacerbate the condition. 
All right, guys, we're going to take a short break. Don't go too far. We've got so much left to talk about. We'll be right back with more pet stuff. Okay, we're back. Now, let's talk for a minute about the difference between some of these super high-dollar, ultra-premium pet foods, products like Wellness or Instinct, when compared to a more economical product like Purina Dog or Cat Chow. I battle with myself all the time over how much I should be spending, or if I'm even getting the best for my pets. The truth is, there's not really any data to suggest that high-dollar foods are going to improve your pet's life. Dr. Lawton had some great advice to offer pet parents considering buying pet food on a budget. Well, I think the first thing that you need to think about is how much can you afford. There's foods out there priced from $20 to $90 a bag. There's differences in them, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to have a dog just because you can't afford a $90 bag of dog food. So there's good foods down in the $20 range that will work just fine. So I think what you need to do is buy the best that you can afford and be happy with that and not feel guilty. Wow, I hope this sinks in with many of you. This is some of the better advice I've heard. There are too many people that are guilted into buying expensive foods out of their budget by companies that release these aggressive or sometimes misleading advertising campaigns. Your pet needs nutrients, not ingredients. Now I'm not telling you what to buy, but I also don't want you to feel guilty about your product. If your food has an AFCO statement, especially if it's substantiated by feeding tests, and it's for the appropriate life stage, you should feel comfortable with the product. There is another point to consider, and that is that some pets do have special needs. This is where we ask ourselves questions about our pet's overall health, where we would consider whether or not your pet has a sensitive stomach, maybe poor skin quality, maybe your chihuahua walks a little stiff. There are definitely specialized diets intended to help pets with a variety of conditions. For example, Pets with sensitive skin are often recommended a food that's rich in omega fatty acids. Veterinarians often recommend glucosamine to promote joint health, especially in breeds prone to those problems like chihuahuas, dachshunds, German shepherds, and many more. My last tip for choosing the right diet is to separate fact from fiction. Marketing has played a huge role in determining how pet owners look at nutrition. Many of you are familiar with the hype surrounding grain-free dog food. So, is it really better for your pet? I asked Dr. Lawton what she thought. I think initially, this was small companies who were looking for an edge over the big companies. And so, new companies that were coming out were looking for sales and things they could, they could say made them better than everybody else. And so this grain-free began. Now, if you look at grain-free, um, whether it be rice, wheat, corn, soy, the digestibility by the dog is in the 
So certainly they can use them, and they can use them just fine. It's just, are they sensitive to them? Generally not. It's generally the protein in the formula that they're allergic to or intolerant of. So they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them which makes the lower-end foods acceptable. That's why dogs, there's a million, two million dogs that have lived and died long, healthy lives on Purina dog chow. The high-end foods that we tend to look for that we're paying a lot for, we're paying for that protein, and you won't see any cereal or any grain in those foods. There's nothing to that statement about grain-free is better. It's just one of those things. It's the fad now. And she's not alone here. In an article for veterinarypracticenews.com, veterinary nutritionist Dr. Kaylin Hines also believes that the grain-free trend may have started with companies trying to distinguish themselves in a crowded market. Similarly, board-certified veterinary nutritionist and independent nutrition consultant Dr. Rebecca Ramillard said, if a company puts no soy on the front of the bag, it invokes in people's basic brainstem the question, what's wrong with soy? Then they go home and look at their dog food bag, and soy is one of the ingredients. Marketing is powerful. Some of you may be wondering about byproducts. Don't worry, we've got you covered. This one has actually bothered me for some time, so I'm glad I can clear the air. I've heard a lot of people say things like byproducts are bad or that they're animal waste, but this just isn't true. Let's start with what byproducts aren't. So byproducts cannot contain GI contents, hair, horn, hoof, teeth, and in actuality, some of the most nutritious parts of an animal are considered byproducts. For example, the kidney, the lungs, and the liver. You know, I've worked with quite a few veterinarians and none of them had ever shown concern over their patients being fed a diet with grains in it or a diet with byproducts in it. If it really were that common of a problem, I suspect your vet would have told you about it. Before we end the episode, I've met a lot of people concerned that their pet has a food allergy. I want to share some information that may help you out. According to the veterinary college at Tufts University, about 10% of dogs develop allergies. Veterinary nutritionist Dr. Kaylin Hines says that it's more likely your dog is allergic to environmental factors, things like pollen, mold, and even dust mites. According to veterinary dermatologist Dr. Tom Lewis, the most common food allergens in dogs are beef, chicken, chicken egg, wheat, soy, and corn. Yes, wheat and corn are considered grains, but they're further down on the list of probable causes. And like Dr. Lawton said, it's generally the protein that pets are allergic to. So I'd probably want to rule out beef and chicken first. There are a couple things to watch for. Dr. Lewis reported nearly half of his food allergy patients show signs including vomiting, diarrhea, and 
get this, pooping more than twice a day. He also suggests that food allergies commonly affect the ears and rears of dogs, meaning regular face and ear scratching, butt licking, and scooting. Also, age didn't appear to matter much, as a lot of dogs under a year old still showed signs. Hopefully, you guys learned something from this episode. Feel free to reach out to me with your questions, comments, or stories. My email is friends at petstuffpodcast.com. Or you could send a message directly through our website, www.petstuffpodcast.com. If you like the show, please subscribe. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at crazydog4. That's crazy with a K. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.